0: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. That's a pretty rough description to say that Israel is a nation
1: full of sin, a nation that is just way down. With sin, a people that are not just evil doers. It says a people that are a seed of evildoers. It's like saying it's in their DNA. They weren't just corrupted. They said they were corruptors, and because of all that, God says you're provoking me. You're provoking me to anger, and this is how the prophet Haggai also described Israel. Haggai two fourteen. Haggai two fourteen. Then answered Haggai and said, "So is this people." And so is the nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. So this is Israel's state. They're full of sin, they're full of uncleanness, and God did not want Israel to continue that way. And so God is now coming to Israel in the person of the Messiah. He is God, and he has sent John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, to go before him to prepare the people for the Messiah. And he's calling them to turn their back on sin and have a new beginning. So when John the Baptist is doing this, he's out there saying, repent, and and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he's really doing, it's almost like Jacob has come to life in John the Baptist. Because there was this time in Jacob's life when Jacob had enough, he'd been fed up with his family. And he turned to his family, In Genesis 35-2, Genesis 35-2, you may remember years ago when we covered this, but anyway, Genesis 35-2, where it says, Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. So Jacob told his family, get rid of all those idols, and go take a bath. Wash yourself and change your clothes. And that was kind of a symbol, you know, the washing and the changing of the clothes to be cleansed. This is really John the Baptist, what John the Baptist is doing here. He's saying, repent, and he's saying, and take a bath. There's a symbol that you want to be clean from this. You want to be done with this. Just like Jacob said, wash you. And this is a preparation. It's like Jeremiah. When Jeremiah called Jerusalem Jeremiah called Jerusalem to repent. He said in Jeremiah 4.14, Jeremiah 4.14, Jeremiah four fourteen. O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness, that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thy vain thoughts lodge within thee? So it's a preparation. You need to be saved. So wash, wash from your wickedness. And John gives this reason. You need to do this now. Don't put this off. Because he says in verse 2, verse 2, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. It's a very interesting term that Matthew uses here throughout his book. The kingdom of heaven. He talks about the kingdom of heaven. This term, the kingdom of heaven, is used over and over and over, I don't know, 37 times in the book of Matthew. And zero times in the rest of the Bible. This is unique to the book of Matthew. It's just used over and over again in the book of Matthew. And why? Why is Matthew coined this term? Why does he use this term, the kingdom of heaven? I'm sure you know John the Baptist said many things, but Matthew hears him say the kingdom of heaven, and everything's the kingdom of heaven. So what is it about the kingdom of heaven? Well, again, we have to keep in mind that the book of Matthew is written to the Jewish people. That's our anchor point in Matthew here. It was to the Jewish people that God revealed heaven. Especially, for example, when God told Moses to make the tabernacle, make the tabernacle, what he told him in Exodus 25, 8, Exodus 25, 8, uh, Exodus 25 is, is, is Moses' instructions to make the tabernacle. But in verse 8, God says, which is really the most important verse about the making of the tabernacle, it says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And then he went on, and he said in verse 9, Exodus 25, 9, 25, 9. According to all that I shall show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments, so shall you make it. Now, he went on throughout the, in this chapter, and God repeated several times to Moses, you are to make the tabernacle and everything in the tabernacle as you sought, according to the pattern. It was only to Israel that God revealed this tabernacle, that God instructed Moses for exactly how it was to be made. And God told Moses, you make the tabernacle exactly how I show you. And he showed him a pattern of the tabernacle. And what he did is God didn't just sit down with Moses and okay, let's sit down over this table here and let me get out the blueprints and spread them all out here before you can see. That's not what happened. What happened is God showed Moses an actual tabernacle. And that tabernacle is in heaven. And that tabernacle is referred to in the last book of the Bible in Revelation, Revelation 21, verse 3, Revelation 21, 3, where it says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them, and shall be their God. So what Moses saw in this tabernacle of God was in heaven, and it later comes down to earth. That's my opinion, and of course you can disagree, with what you normally do, so that's fine. <laughs> so Israel became familiar with the tabernacle in heaven, the kingdom of heaven, and a lot of things they became familiar with, which was in heaven, as God revealed it to them. So because of that, the kingdom of heaven has meaning them the kingdom of heaven is where the king of heaven is so when john the baptist is saying in verse two the kingdom of heaven is at hand he's essentially saying that look when the king of heaven comes down to earth to gather up citizens for heaven to eventually take them up to heaven so this is the meaning this is why it has meaning for the jewish people the kingdom of heaven and he says there's this great urgency about this Get ready. The king of heaven, he's right around the corner. And so, and that's what he means by the term at hand. Very close. In other words, he's saying, tomorrow is not as good as today. Tomorrow may be too late. And this is the same urgency that John was bringing to the Jewish people. It's the same urgency that we have with the gospel message today. When it says in 2 Corinthians 6.2, 2 Corinthians 6, two, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted.'" In the day of salvation have I succored they. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. In Hebrews 4.7, it talks about this urgency when it says, Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. So all these terms, at hand, limited, today, it means that there's a limit on time when a person can be saved from their sins. No one knows when they're going to die. Nobody knows that. But after death, one thing's for sure, it's too late to be saved. The Bible says in Hebrews nine twenty-seven. Hebrews 9.27, as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after that the judgment. So once a person dies, he is, ushered, he, he is ushered right into judgment. And if that person says, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm ready now, I'm ready now, I want to receive Christ now, I'm ready to pray the sinner's prayer, I got it memorized, I know how to do it. If the person says that after he dies, that person is told, it's too late for you now. It's too late for that. You could have done that during the accepted time, but that time has come and gone. And now is the time for the final judgment, so this is John the Baptist is kind of saying here when he says, uh, "Repent the kingdom of heaven it 's at hand now 's the time to be saved and so this is why, for us as believers in a lost world, John the Baptist is our example he 's the one we follow in proclaiming this sense of urgency about the gospel. Now, the next verse now in verse three, it turns our focus to this person, John the Baptist himself. I mean, a little bit about who he was. I mean, we told a little bit of details about him. When it says in verse 3, this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John is the one that is referred to in Isaiah 40, verse 3. Isaiah 40, verse 3 where it says, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. So, first of all, that description of John the Baptist says that he is a voice, a voice. It's not a very impressive description. That's all he is. He's a voice. He's just a voice. John's whole ministry was to be a voice with a very clear, a very plain, a very consistent message. He's described as being the voice of one. The voice of one, crying in the wilderness. The voice of one. He's only one. As a matter of fact, we don't read in this chapter of there being any other voice heard than that of John. He's one voice. He's one person. He's one voice. He's described only as a voice, nothing more. John knew his calling in life. John stuck to his calling in life. John did not waver from his calling in life. John knew that he was put there. John the Baptist knew that he was put on earth to put the spotlight on the Messiah. And even though the spotlight fell on him, on John the Baptist, John never preempted the Messiah. And the Lord knew that he could trust John. The Lord knew that John would not steal the limelight. The Lord knew that John would get the job done. And that's why he said, as we saw in Malachi 3.1, Malachi 3.1, that, behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And then he said, the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly appear and suddenly come to his temple. It was just like God looking at John the Baptist saying, yep. That's John the Baptist. I can trust him to stay on course. Stay. I can st- trust him to stay on track. He's going to prepare the way before me. So when the time comes, it will be me that suddenly appears in the temple and not John that suddenly appears in the temple. So this is an outstanding quality about John the Baptist, an outstanding characteristic. He had a very keen sense of what God wanted him to do. And he had a very keen sense of his ministry and how he was going to end up and how he was going to drop off the stage and he was happy with that and he knew that he was just a voice and so here in verse three this is Matthew speaking this is not John speaking when he describes him he is the one from Isaiah the prophet now we're going to see well we won't see but anyway it can be seen in the book of John that John the Baptist does say that about himself when this confrontation comes about with the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem and they ask him in John 1, 19 through 23. John 1, 19 through 23, they come and they say, Who are you? Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. His confession is who he's not. I'm not the Christ. They asked him, Well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you that prophet, speaking of the one who was also the Messiah, in the book of Deuteronomy that Moses talked about, a prophet shall the Lord thy God raise up unto thee like unto myself. Are you that prophet? He answered, no. And they said, well, who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I'm the voice. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. So John did know that he was in fact the fulfillment. He was that voice of Isaiah forty. But what we see here in verse three of Matthew two three, verse three, Matthew three, three, what we see here is that the voice is not just speaking, it's not just talking. The voice is crying. The voice is crying in the wilderness. So John's voice is a crying voice. It's a startling voice. It's a voice that's alarming. And he's sounding the alarm. And he's waking up sinners so that they can confront their sin. They can be done with it. And his voice, is, you get the impression, it's every direction. It's everywhere. It's to every person. So this drama is going on out there in the wilderness. There's a lot of drama that's happening. This voice, everything is the voice. The voice, it's kind of interesting about the voice, is that John's father, you know, before he's, is a person who the Bible says didn't have a voice. His voice was taken away. And that's a very interesting history in Luke 11. Luke 11, where John's father, his name was Zacharias, and an angel appeared to him. And we saw the angel. He was troubled. And the angel said, "'Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Thy wife Elizabeth shall bear the son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord." shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and shall be filled with the holy ghost even from his mother's womb many of the children of israel shall he turn to the lord their god and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the lord So that's what the angel told zacharias and zacharias Kind of following a little bit in the steps of Abraham and others, he he didn't believe it. Zachariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man. My wife is well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb. His voice was taken away and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. People waited for Zacharias' marvel. He tarried so long in the temple. When he came out, he couldn't speak unto them. So this is John's father, Zacharias. He can't speak until John's born. He doesn't have a voice. John's born to a parent that doesn't have a voice. And then John comes out with this very loud voice, calling to Israel. In Matthew, as we said here, we're just not told very much about John the Baptist. We get a lot of information from Luke and John but not here in Matthew but kind of an interesting thing about John cuz we want to know about him you know i mean who is he you know and so if, there's an interesting statement about John in Luke 180 Luke 1 verse 80 Luke 1 verse 80 where it talks about John and it says about him the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel That's kind of unusual. I mean, John is growing up and he spends a lot of time in the desert alone. Well, I guess it's with the animals out there, but he's alone. And so when you kind of picture that, you try to get in your mind, you know, what kind of a person is John the Baptist? You know, he's growing up. Where are you going today, John? I'm going to the desert. Just wants to be in the desert alone. So you really can imagine that John the Baptist is a very meditative type of person, And when we see this about him, he wants to go out alone into the desert. It really brings back to mind the picture of Isaac. Isaac was like that. And we saw that in Genesis 24 63. Genesis 24 63, where a little picture that we get of Isaac in Genesis 24 63 is Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventide. So. Isaac was a type of person who liked to get alone with God in the field. And John the Baptist, it seems to be the same way. John the Baptist liked to get alone with God in the desert. These are meditative type of people. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to get alone with God and meditate. You know, Pastor Jim, of course everybody knows. And when I was saved, Pastor Jim was the superintendent of the San Diego Hebrew Mission. That's he's really responsible for me being involved in, in evangelism to the Jewish people. And he used to spend three hours in prayer just walking right up this little hallway here, back and forth. Three hours every day he would spend in prayer. And, you know, that's a characteristic of a man of God. What God told Joshua was that with all your responsibilities, Joshua, you've got to take the whole people into the land. He told Joshua In Joshua 1, verse 8, Joshua 1, verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. God says about the man of God in Psalm 1 and Psalm 1, verse 2, Psalm 1, verse 2, he says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. So this is very significant about John the Baptist, and we know this about him. And then it goes on. Matthew does go on now, and he doesn't describe a lot, but he describes these unusual details in verse 4, in verse 4 where it says, And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. That was distinctive about John, what he wore, and what he ate, and it 's being called out here his clothing it 's made out of camel 's hair not camel 's skin that might be okay you know camel 's skin maybe it 's very soft skin i don 't know i don 't have anything made out of camel, but you know but I could maybe if I did, I probably would want the underbelly of the camel it would be softer you know that be, be nice skin maybe i don 't know, but certainly camel 's hair doesn 't sound nice, right. Because camel's hair is stiff, it's coarse. I've seen these camels in Addis Ababa, in Ethiopia. The Somalis like camels. They like they eat camels. They ride camels. Everything is camels with the Somalis. I don't know what it is with them and the camels. But anyway, so I've seen them camels walking around the street. And sometimes they get kind of long hair. But those camel hair are good for tents. Very good covering for tents to protect it from the elements. But as a coat. Oh, I don't think I want to wear that coat. Uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. So when you look at John the Baptist and you saw, oh, what is he wearing? He's wearing camel hair. And then you saw this belt was obviously distinctive. It was called out. It was a belt. I guess everybody wore a leather belt, but this must have been something of a large belt. Maybe he had pockets in it or something like that. this is the thing that he called out about John the Baptist. And then there was the food that he ate. He ate locusts locusts i don't know how many people here have ever eaten a locust you know i guess you tear the wings off before you eat them i don't know it's like eating captain crunch or something i don't know but i don't know locusts you know i mean okay well all right i guess you dry them in the sun and they would probably be a non-perishable food and you know a good protein source and you know you reach in your maybe your leather thing and eat some locusts i don't know and i guess when there's a swarm you can get a lot of them you know i mean they certainly could do that in egypt and um, you kind of think about it now. What is it about locusts? Why did he do that? Well, speaking of a person who spends or wastes a lot of time preparing food, I mean, I can to make some dinner or something like that. And I said, "Oh, I've been at this for three hours already." You know, it's just me. So, you know. <laughs> bon appetit. No, one advantage is it doesn't take a lot of time. You know, to, for the locusts. You're not. You know, with the locusts, you don't have to plant them. You don't have to grow them. You don't have to harvest them. You don't have to tend to them like animals you don't have to graze them you just have them
0: another wonderful day studying the bible with our bible teacher tom Cantor here on friendship with god don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Friendship with God Fellowship and Tom Cantor would like to invite you to our Seder message and traditional Passover dinner on Sunday, April 14th from 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. Come join us for a special night of music, food, and and a biblical perspective on the Passover Seder. Experience this event in our brand new venue, The Vine, located near the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. The cost of this event is $25 per person, and the last day to sign up is Sunday, April 7th. For more information, please call 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104. Or visit us at creationbookstore.com. That's creationbookstore.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California.